First Kings chapter four. Probably one of the more exciting chapters of First Kings. Yeah, we get to talk about the kingdom and the things that are going on, but uh, it's in here for a reason, and we want to get to all the reasons for that. In verse 1 of chapter 4, saw, of course, in the weeks before that King Solomon took the throne. Once he took the throne, people rose up to try and take that away from him. He prayed for wisdom. God gave him wisdom, and as soon as he got the wisdom, the wisdom was tested. We saw that whatever it is that God gives us, it will be tested. Does this mean that you're doing anything wrong? doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. God gave it to you. It ought to be tested. Verse 1. So King Solomon was king over all Israel, and these were his officials. Azariah, the son of Zadok, he was the priest. That's how it should read. It's not Zadok the priest. Azariah is the priest. Um, Elorath and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, scribes. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, the recorder. Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, he was over the army. We saw that he was uh, a priest before. He's a Levite. Zadok and Abiathar, the priest. Now, Abiathar was uh, removed, but they still listed him in here. Azariah, the son of Nathan, over the officers. Zabad, the son of Nathan, a priest and the king's friend. They said in a position, that you, okay, you're my friend. So you're in that. <laughs> of course, David had that too. He had a friend, and I guess maybe that's a new position that you put your friend into. Ahishar over the household. Adoniram, the son of Abda, over the labor force. And Solomon had 12 governors over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year. These are their names. Ben-Hur in the mountains of Ephraim. Ben-Decker in Machaz. Shabim, Beth-Shemesh and Elan, Beth-Hanan. Ben-Hesed, he had some fun names in there, isn't it? In Aruboth, to him belong Sukoth and all the land of Hefer, Ben Abinadab, in all the regions of Dor. He had Tapheth, and daughter of Solomon, his wife, Bena, the son of Ahilad, in Tanak, Megiddo, and all Beth Shanan, which is, which is beside Zeratan below Jezreel, from Beth Shean to Abel. Meholah, as far as the other side of Jachnim. Ben-Gibir, in Ramoth-Gilead, to him belong the towns of Jair, the son of Manasseh, in Gilead. To him also belong the region of Argob, in Bashan. Sixty large cities with walls and bronze gate bars. Ahinadab, the son of Edo, in Mahaniam. Ahimaz, in Nephtali, he also took Basemath, the daughter of Solomon and his wife, so two of them were his son-in-laws. Bena, the son of Hushai, the Asher and Eloth. Jehoshaphat, the son of Perua in Issachar. Shemai, the son of Eloth in Benjamin. Gebir, the son of Uri in the land of Gilead, in the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan. He was the only governor who was in the land. Now, uh, what we can see from this is, you know, he took his whole kingdom and we're going to see the size of this here in a little bit. The size is going to be interesting for us. But it's not just the region of Israel. It is the whole region in which he, he uh, runs, which is a very large area. David conquered quite a bit of the world. In fact, there uh, really was no world empire during that time. They were the closest thing to it. And so he took the whole region, not Israel. He took the whole region of what he had, divided into 12 sections, and each one was responsible for, for, for providing for the palace one month of, of uh, whatever they needed. And they needed a lot. <laughs> We're going to see what that, that is here in just a little bit. And each governor was over that region. And so what you did was for 11 months, you prepared for what you're going to have to do in the 12th month when it was your month. Because you didn't try and get all that stuff together in just that one month. So they, they gathered the stuff up for 11 months and then in the 12th month, they sent it. And they got it over there. Uh, because this guy, they, they needed quite a bit of, of stuff for, for their uh, household. It was, uh, it was quite, quite big. But what you're going to see is that he takes the big project and he breaks it down into something smaller. And I put this in your outline for you. The bigger something gets, the more people are needed to manage it. And we talk about government growth in our country. The government was growing in this country too. It was getting bigger. <laughs> and they needed a lot of stuff. 
And um, what was handled before by one or two people is now handled, is, is now divided, handled by three or four. And that's how they did. They kept dividing and, and spreading it out. So more and more people are being added. The people that he has in his government are way bigger than what David had. And he just keeps growing this thing and, and more and more is, is needed. Now, once you do that, new, posi- new positions can be created. Once you have new positions created, you know, we have a, a secretary of something else and you didn't have that before, but now you got it. And uh, you get new positions created. Well, new people moved in next to old faithful ones. Now, think about this. Under David, we had old faithful ones and Solomon doesn't get rid of all the old guys. He still keeps them around. Like in this country, whenever a new president comes in, they generally, if a Democrat comes in, they usually kick out all the Republicans and, and then appoint Democrats in there. If a Republican comes in, they usually do, do that. There was a big stink made about that. Remember when President Bush took office and all the AGs that were around in the country? He got rid of, I think, nine of them. Usually they got rid of all of them. If, if they weren't of your party, they got rid of all of them. Actually, you just get rid of all of them, put your own people in there, whether they're your party or not. He only got rid of nine. They made such a big stink, it was like no one else had ever gotten rid of them before. But that's typically what they do, is they get rid of all the AGs from the previous administration. They put in all new ones. So we're, we're familiar with that when somebody else comes into power, that you get rid of the old and you put in the new. But Solomon kept a lot of the old guys around, and he added new ones to it. So here's what you got. You got people that were in positions... And now all of a sudden their position has been divided. And somebody else is coming along inside them that's new. Now they've been faithful to David. Plan on being faithful to Solomon. But how would you like it if you had a position? It was divided and somebody else came along. Well, you see, this is the, the problem that a lot of folks have is you stagnate growth because no one wants to get divided. Wait a minute. I've always done this. I've always had this. This has always been my stuff. What do you mean you're bringing somebody else in? I've been here doing this. And, you know, certainly around churches, you find that a whole lot. You know, if a church goes from 50 to 100, if it goes from 100 to 200, if it goes from 200 to 400, well, new stuff happens and new people have to be brought in and, and things have to, to go on. And it's not always something that, uh, that goes on. We've, we've been to a number of uh, church conferences and they always tell you about the, uh, the, the, the phases that you go through. There's uh, the 0 to 100. There's 100 to 250. There's 250 to 500. There's 500 to 1,000. And during each one of those, those things, uh, there's different characteristics of it. Generally, in those that are 50 and under, everything is dependent on the pastor. When you get up to 100, then things start starting to move off of that. When you get to 250, then even more is being moved off and other people are being moved in. And uh, one of the things they always taught us was, if you don't start acting like the church ahead of you, you never get there. You have, you have to start acting like the church ahead of you before you can get into that spot. You can't just get into that spot and then all of a sudden start moving other, other things. But you know, people aren't always, always uh, geared for that. If you have a church that's, that's small enough and everybody has contact to the pastor, then as soon as the church gets to the size where no longer does everybody have contact to the pastor, well, then certain people are saying, well, I used to always be able to talk to. And, and, and things go on with that. And so that's, growth brings problems. <laughs> And this is what uh, they're finding in here. Solomon brought tremendous growth to the kingdom, but it brings problems. So you've got old faithful next to newcomers. And how does that work? Now, they don't get, that doesn't break it all down into this story here, but how do you think it worked? You think people are any different now than they were then? We're not always going to be, be liking that. We, so sometimes, well, oh, I did all this stuff before. How come I can't keep doing all this stuff now? Well, we want there to be growth. You know, if you, if you go for we have a church uh, right now, we, we got one entrance. We have two, actually, but we only use the one. And so when we have greeters, how many greeters do we need? We need one. One greeter for one entrance. Now, with the church I came out of in Tulsa, we had a lot of entrances. We had quite, there was an entrance on each side of the building, and some sides of the building had two entrances in it. And then when you have the entrance, there's huge doors. It's not one door, it's a number of doors. And so they would have a number of greeters at each door all the way around the building. So you go from having here one greeter to having maybe 30. And that, that's a lot of greeters. And then you have ushers. You know, we can, we can get by with two or three ushers here. Uh, they didn't get by with two or three ushers over there. And, uh, and Rama, we were over there, over, over there. They had the ground level ushers and then the balcony ushers 
and then the ushers that were out in the, uh, the hallways. And so there were different ones. And uh, it was kind of fun to, to watch because, um, you know, the, down there at Raymond, they didn't have tags for the ushers. They had sport coats. And so all, they, just a slight, I mean, a nice color, but just a color that not everybody would buy. It's just, it was something that just made them distinct. One was a mauve type of a color, and the other one was a green type of a color. And those were the two that they had. And so what they ended up doing was the ground-level ushers were one color, and the uh, ones up in the balcony were another color. And you could tell an usher because you could see, oh, that's an usher color right there. He's, <laughs> that's, that's an usher. And each section had at least two ushers in it. And, um, and yeah, it, it, it was ushers all over the place. They had lots of ushers. They did a nice job with that. And they all knew what they were supposed to do. But growth causes problems. Because what if one person says, well, I was an usher every week. Now I'm not needed except for every other week. And that can be a, that can be a problem. So just understand, growth is good, but growth brings problems. Staying the same brings problems. Growing brings problems. And shrinking brings problems. Which problems would you rather have? <laughs> Well, we say we'd rather have the problems that come with growing, but not always because, you know, sometimes things, things move around. One of the, uh, one of the things that, uh, remember John Maxwell, and he was talking about this. John Maxwell taught a lot of different classes when he was in the, when he was a pastor at the church. And that was, as it was growing, he realized he had to drop out of some of the things that he was doing. And uh, uh, one of the people on his staff was telling us about it. the hardest thing that John had to, to get rid of was the new members class. He loved teaching the new members class. That was his favorite thing to teach. And he had to give it up in order for the church to continue to grow. He had, I'm not sure what all the, the, he didn't get into all the details why that was, but he, uh, he said, I had to give that up in order to, to have the thing to, to go. And so he gave it into somebody else's hands, and, and somebody else took it off, and they did a, a real nice job with it. Of course, it was different from the way that John did it, and some people went through it the way you know, Pastor John did, and, well, we liked it that way better, and you, know, you always have that sort of thing, but sometimes things have to has to change. So just understand, whenever something grows, you have, to, you have to be willing to change if you want to have that. Change can be good. Most of us don't like change. We've had a whole lot of change this week with a certain area of the Philadelphia sports franchises. <laughs> and how many of you are all fed up with change right now? I mean, I'm tired of change. I don't want any more change. If I wake up and see another person was traded, I'm, I may just trade my team. I mean, we just, uh, there's a certain amount of change we just don't like, right? Mm-hmm. Even the Sixers were doing that. They, I didn't understand. They traded some, I'm thinking, why would you do that? Especially when you saw what they got for the, the uh, I don't understand. I, I, I don't get it. But, um, you know, down the road, maybe we do. <laughs> Put in your outline this, jealousies, jealousies can rise up exposing if we are serving the kingdom or ourselves. If we serve ourselves, we become jealous because I'm not doing this, I don't have this, this was given to someone else, all this sort of stuff. We're not looking at the kingdom. If God says, you know, there's sometimes we've been serving in some things because no one else was around. What happens when someone comes around who's anointed for that? Are we willing to say, oh, you got the anointing for that. You go on ahead, you take care of that thing. You'll do a great job of that. Jealousies can rise up exposing if we are serving the kingdom or ourselves. We get to heaven, we can talk to Solomon sometime about how, how all this growth went on. Because he brought a large, a huge bit of growth. The taxes that were under David compared to the taxes that were under Solomon are astoundingly higher. David increased the, king, the, the king's treasury by going out and conquering and bringing back money. Solomon increased the treasury by taxing. And you can t- how, how would you like it? Now, you remember when Rehoboam takes over, what's the thing they complained about the most? Taxes. Your father really taxed us. When Solomon took over, is anybody complaining about taxes? No. But when Rehoboam takes over, that's the thing they talk about. So that'll tell you how much Solomon increased the taxes to support the growth of the kingdom. He really, he really jacked it up. But um, David... Hey, if you need more money, let's just go out and conquer somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> that's all. That's just, they got some money over there. Let's go get it. 
that's what they did. David was a he's a man of war. He conquered all kinds of places and 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 took money and that's a that's a great way to increase, I guess. You know? But anyway, let's go on. Verse uh, twenty. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. Well, that's what God said they were going to do. So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Oh, I did not copy it in here. There, I thought I, I thought I copied it on, and I missed that. We're going I'll give you a little homework assignment then. The size of the kingdom was promised to Abraham. Back when God was talking to Abraham, he says, "I'm going to give you this," and he said. Uh, his, his uh, phraseology was from the, the river of Egypt to the Euphrates. And that was basically an area of Egypt to modern-day Turkey that Israel was going to control, that God had promised them to them. He didn't just promise them the land of Israel that they had. He promised them from the river of Egypt up to the Euphrates. It was a big area. And under Solomon is the closest they came to uh, occupying all of that. I'm sure David had, David, Solomon wasn't one of war, so uh, I've heard people say that Solomon expanded the kingdom. I don't see how you can expand the kingdom without war. Maybe yeah, marriage? Yeah. Is that how they did it? Yeah, then maybe that's how they did it. Because I was always scratching my head on it. How does Solomon increase the kingdom? Come on. Get, well, I don't call that. If you marry them, it doesn't mean you're putting them under. David, when they conquered them, he put them under Israel. That's not going to put them under, so I'm not sure how that would... Uh, how that would it, but he did. He had a lot of treaties with, with marriages and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But anyway, all these regions are divided into 12, and this is where all this stuff is coming from. Um, let's see. Oh, I put this up, little quote from Charles Spurgeon in here. Let me read this for you. The kingdom of Israel under the sway of Solomon was a fair type of the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. The present state of the church may be compared to the reign of David, splendid with victories but disturbed with battles. or yeah. Yet there are better days to come, days in which the kingdom shall be extended and become more manifest, and then the Lord Jesus Christ shall be even more conspicuously seen as the Solomon of the kingdom. So the idea of this is that David represents the church, Solomon, more the reign of Jesus and the millennial reign and such, because Solomon is a peaceful reign, whereas David is a war type of reign. So we have, uh, David had a lot of victories, and we're supposed to have a lot of victories. Genesis uh, fifteen eight, and he said, Lord God, how shall... Oh, I, you know what? I copied the wrong scripture. That's why we don't have it. So it's in Genesis 15, I, but I just copied the wrong one in there. So narrow down your search for you anyway. In First uh, Kings four twenty two, now Solomon's provisions for one day. This is one day. This is not the month that they were supposed to supply. This is one day. Was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal... Ten fatted oxen, twenty oxen from the pastures, and one hundred sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. That's for a day. How much on a fatted oxen? How many people can you? If you have a barbecue with a fatted oxen, <laughs> how many people can you invite over? You can probably do quite a quite a. You got ten of them plus. 20 oxen from the pastures. They're not fatted. They're just out there. And uh, 100 sheep. Besides, we're not even counting the deer, the gazelles, the roebucks, and the fatted fowl. That's, that's a lot. This is what they went through in a day. For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river from Tipsha even to Gaza, namely over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on every side all around him. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his own vine and fig tree. In other words, they were prosperous. From Dan, as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And these governors, each man in his, his month, provided food for the king Solomon and for all who came to king Solomon's table. There was no lack in their supply. They also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and Steeds, each man according to his charge. Now, here are the estimates. The estimates for the people that were in the palace is between 14,000 and 32,000. I believe that estimate is not counting the horsemen. Because it says another horsemen were how many? 
12,000 just with the horsemen. So if you have, if you add the 12,000 to 14 to 32,000 people, that's in the palace. That's who you're feeding every day. We think we got a big meal and we have 50 people over, right? <laughs> 25. This is what they have all the time. And when you come into the king's palace, it's, it's not peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They have, they have a spread out there. Every single day, it is a feast in the palace. At the king's table, they, don't, they, they do not cut down on the king's table. It is, you come to the king's table, you are going away full. That's, uh, what's that, uh, that uh, uh, smorgasbord down the road from here? The, the, the Nebraska? We went out there, they went, oh, I'll tell you what, that's good stuff. I'll tell you, that's, that's pretty good. All the meat you want, all you, gotta, all you do is put your little flag up there, I want some more. And they come on over and they start bringing you on more. Now, I, I had my strategy when I went down there. No, nothing green. I, don't, I do not know what the salad bar looked like. I know they had one. But I did not visit. I am not wasting my time on, on things like that. And, uh, and I also decided no chicken. I can eat chicken anywhere. Give me the, the good meat. I went to, what was it? Salmon they had over there to have some, some kind of fish. They had salmon they had, and they had the beef and the pork. Yeah, that was all good. Yeah, just load me up on that. I'd, I, was, I was good with that. But if you come to the king's table, it is that way every meal. Every meal, it is lavish. Every time that they had people, and they had people, they had visitors coming on in to see this great thing. They were coming in to hear the wisdom of Solomon, to see the splendor of the kingdom. And he gave them a good time. He showed them that he showed them a, when you came into Solomon's, you got an invite, you were, you're going away happy. You had all the food, all the drink, all the stuff that you wanted. It was all there. And one twelfth of the kingdom was, was uh, having to supply that. Can you imagine that? That is a good bit to have to do. You got 30 days that you're responsible for. They don't have short months. Nobody had February. They don't have short months on the Jewish calendar. Everybody had, a, had the same amount of days. They were supposed to do this, and this is what you were to supply. Every day, you had to get this stuff there. And it's not like it's around the corner. What if you're in Egypt? How, the governor has to coordinate getting the daily supply to them every day. Every day, a new supply comes in. You don't just say, here's the month worth of stuff. You've got to keep bringing it on in. We want fresh stuff. And every day they got to keep bringing it on in. So for that day, they got the ships going on out. Every day with ships going on out. Tomorrow, another ship's got to go on out, whether it's a day away, two days away. You got to anticipate all this. You got to have that stuff there. That governor's got to have the supply there. Because how's it going to look for Solomon if, sorry, we don't have any food today? <laughs> this is not going to be good. So this is what they had to do. Um, I put in your outline this kings don't become famous for being thrifty. Kings don't become famous for being thrifty. You don't find a king at the thrift store <laughs> telling about what a good deal he got on uh, a suit. No, he's got the tailor who comes in. They make the suit. He, if he's wearing something, no one else is wearing it. It's his. People who go to the palace expect extravagance. If you went to a palace around here, if you went over to, to uh, Britain, and you visited the palace there with the queen and all the people that are in there. Would you expect them to have, you know, little little gimpy stuff out there on the table? You want to, you you wouldn't expect them to go out to McDonald's, put a little spread out there. No, you would expect some good stuff. You would expect Downton Abbey, right? You you've watched those those. I, I've seen a few times. I I just don't like the show. I just don't like the show. But uh, my wife likes it. And so she'll sit in there and she'll watch it. And if I come in the room, it's on. You know, I, I feel like she probably does when football's on. <laughs> I'm sure of it. <laughs> There's all these people. You know, the, the servants are down in the basement. They're, they're, they're eating. But they eat pretty good, too. They eat pretty good. And they bring all that stuff up there. And, but it's not just, you know, here's the food. There's a, there's a whole process to it. And it has to be done a certain way. And this is what was, was done over here for, for these guys. Here's uh, Isaiah 25, verse 6. The Lord all, I put it from the New Century Version. The Lord All-Powerful will prepare a feast on this mountain for all people. It will be a feast with all the best food and wine, 
and finest meat and wine. When we get into the kingdom of God, our banquet table is going to be better than Solomon's. <laughs> it is going to be better than Solomon. You're going to talk about Solomon's abundance. Ours is going to be better. And there's a lot of references to the Lord's table in the end times as, uh, as being like a king's table. Because in the king's table, it is never short. There's always plenty and it's extravagant. It's lavish. Because if it is not, who looks bad? The king. Not the guys who provided it. The king looks bad. So if Solomon needs to look good, how much more for our king? He's going to be looking good. I've skipped over something here for you, but um, acquisition requires sustenation. In other words, you have to sustain whatever you acquire. We have to sometimes think about that before we start believing God for things. Because whatever you believe God for, you've also got to believe for the upkeep. If you believe God for the bigger house, well, the bigger house requires more heat, more air conditioning, more cleaning. Whatever it is, it's going to require more. When you've got to do the roof on the bigger house, it costs you more money. When you've got to do the yard on the bigger house, that takes more time or costs more money. Whatever, if you're going to buy the uh, German car instead of the Ford, it's going to cost you more money when you go into the, to the repair place. And, and you've you got to understand that. You know, I, I buy Fords and things like that because I like the upkeep on them better. But I do have a truck. And, I, and people ask me, uh, well, what's your gas mileage on that? I said, if you have a truck, you shouldn't care. <laughs> That's the way it is. Amen. If you have a truck, you should not care about gas mileage. You don't buy a, ga- a truck for gas mileage. If you want that, go out there and buy one of them stinking little smart cars. <laughs> You'll get good gas mileage on that. You just won't look very good getting there. <laughs> but, you know, there are some things you got to understand the upkeep of it. The, a, a bigger car is going to guzzle more gas. You're not. Gonna, I don't. I don't stop by the gas station and fill up for twenty dollars. That, that ain't going to happen. I stop and fill up. It's generally a hundred. It's a hundred bucks every time that I I stop in, depending upon how empty I let the, uh, the the tank get. When I get an oil change, I there's there's no rinky dink four or five quart or engine uh, in, in that one. I got a lot more quarts that have to go in. To, uh, to mine than into uh, most of the others. So just about everything will cost you more on that. But that's all right. Go in there knowing it. Whatever you are going to believe God for, you've got to also believe God for the upkeep of it. But just be ready for it. Brother Keith talks about, uh, and Brother Copeland talks, talks about all the time too, the upkeep of an airplane. He would tell us about it. He said, you know, one little tiny part on that airplane can cost thousands not a thousand, thousands of dollars when you have to replace it. And he says, when you stop in for, for gas with that, you're not filling up for a hundred bucks. You're not, you're not getting there on a hundred dollars. <laughs> it's going to cost you a lot more. There's, a, there's an upkeep to it. And if you go from a, a propeller airplane to a jet engine, that's more money there. The repairs cost more. The training costs more. Oh, it, Whatever it is. But if God says you need it, then believe God for the upkeep of it. Whatever it is, believe God for the upkeep of it. If God wants you to get in there to do it, then God will provide the upkeep of it. So whatever it is that we get in, you know, we as a church, we get into certain ministries, we're believing God for a certain ministry, well, there's an upkeep to that ministry. We've got to believe God for the upkeep of that ministry as well as the ministry itself. And... Whatever it is, it, it takes some stuff to do. You know, we, we were just looking up over here on the this, this stage. When we had worship and we had a keyboard and a drum mm-hmm. and three voices. Mm-hmm. Well, you, it's, growing. it's growing. It's growing. Well, the bigger it gets, the more upkeep it takes, right? <laughs> so we have these, these things, you know, well, we need, uh, we need this equipment or we need this, this thing over here. And uh, it's not, you know, more, more things are being divided up. And this is good. This growth is good. It has problems, I understand. But growth is good. How many are enjoying worship? I'm enjoying what they're doing up there in worship. 
It, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we have uh, the more voices we have up there, then the more parts that we have. Amen. And uh, I don't sing any parts. <laughs> I, 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 that's not my thing. I don't, I don't sing any parts. I don't carry any, any beats. I, there's nothing I do for, for that at all. <laughs> don't try to be. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the parts. I don't hear the parts. I just enjoy the parts. The parts. I can tell when they're like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I have no idea why. <laughs> I don't know who's singing what, but that sounds good. I just, but you can also hear the parts that don't sound good. I, I can tell good and I can tell bad. I can't tell how you get from one place to the other. But, you know, the more, the more voices we have, then the more those voices can split up and each one take, take a part and take something else. We got two. We'll have two, two keyboards, I guess, this Sunday. We're going to, uh huh. Uh huh. Well, see, now we can do different things with the, with the keyboards. Now you got one carrying this and one carrying this and one doing this sound and one doing this sound. And glory to God. Yeah, it's going to be good. But, um, you know, growth is good. Growth brings problems and growth brings blessing. Make challenges. Yeah, well. Yeah. Just, just like when you were in a, when you were a young family and that first baby came along. Mm-hmm. Growth brings issues, doesn't it? It brings expenses. And then the second one. <laughs> and then for some, even the third. <laughs> and each, each one brings a, a challenge, brings a demand, but it brings a blessing. And every parent I've said, they never would send any back. Well, they know they can't, but they still wouldn't want to send them back. The watch in the back. Well. They're, they're good. Kids are, kids are wonderful. They, they are. But um, we've got to keep that in mind. Solomon's kingdom is growing. It's getting big. And the people love that folks come from far and wide to see their king, to see their palace, to see their extravagant things going on but somebody's got to pay for it <laughs> and when it's your month mm, you imagine them getting to the end of the month hey we need a few more goats uh, we need your oxen <laughs> i don't care if you already gave two you need another one verse 29 and god gave solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore thus solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Now, the wisdom of the, the folks from the east, this is the group that Daniel was with. And, uh, they were considered to be the wise men. Uh, Solomon was better than all of them. And as far as Egypt was concerned, Egypt was considered to have a lot of uh, secrets, a lot of wisdom, a lot of understanding, and he blew them all out of the water too. He excelled in all that. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan, the Ezraite, you know who he is, right? Well, apparently they did. <laughs> and Heman, and Shalkal, and Darda, and the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. So this is taking the people that are so well known in that time, that region. These are wise people, and Solomon was wiser than all of them. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005 that's a lot of songs. That's a lot of songs. I don't know how many Mozart wrote. He's probably written about the, as much as, as, as any of them. It's kind of fun to look at composers. I mean, you look at a composer, not these guys who write, you know, a three-minute song. Composers wrote songs. I mean, these things are long. Symphonies and such like that. It was, uh, have you ever heard of the Curse of Nine? That uh, there's a there's a it seems to be a curse that was on composers that as soon as you wrote your ninth symphony you generally died. Most didn't get to nine. Brahms wrote four, but some of them wrote nine. Beethoven, of course, you know, wrote nine and then he died. Mahler, I believe, wrote nine. Um, there's a few guys who made it to nine. A lot of them didn't make it to nine. But there were three guys who went past nine. And when you, once you got past nine, the sky was the limit. Mozart, I think, has something like 145. Haydn, he's up around the same neck of the woods. 
symphonies. Not, we're not talking about all the other things. Just symphonies. And symphonies are long. You, have you sat through a symphony? That's a lot of music. Mozart wrote a whole mess of other stuff beside that. So did Haydn. And, uh, and it seems like once you got past nine, they just, they just took off. But there's that, that spot that was there. But he wrote 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. That's a lot of songs. So he was musical as well as being wise. Also, he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. He talked about nature. And apparently, his wisdom wasn't just in deciding right and wrong, who was on the right side, who was on the wrong side. His wisdom also stretched into God's creation. God gave him wisdom about that. He talked about how things worked in this world. And he had wisdom in that. And that wisdom was beyond anything that Egypt had or the folks out east. Or I know there's other men that were mentioned. He spoke of animals, birds, creeping things, and of fish. That's a wide range. I mean, there's sometimes people, they just specialize on birds. They just specialize on fish. And if you specialize on fish, generally you specialize on either saltwater fish or freshwater fish. You don't specialize in both. It just says fish. You ever see the, uh, uh, I think it's Discovery Channel. They got that guy on there that, um, who does the freshwater monsters. River monsters, I think is what it's called. You ever seen river monsters? Don't watch it because if you do, you'll probably never go into another pond, lake, or stream ever again. <laughs> when you get done watching those things, you think, what in the world has the ocean on freshwater? I mean, you could die in the freshwater. <laughs> it's, it's amazing the things he, and he jumps in the water with some of these things. Mm. I, I don't understand it. I've always liked the ocean better anyway. I know there's a big things out there, but that's uh, anyway, he, he had expertise on fish, fresh salt doesn't say creeping things, birds, animals. He had wisdom on all these trees. He had wisdom about trees and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So when they heard all these things about it, of course, we know about the big visitor, the queen, when she came all the way out to, to visit that. But apparently people were coming from all over the world. It was a common thing that they would come in just to hear Solomon. And so every day they had an extravagant spread. People would come in and Solomon would address them and he would speak about trees. He would speak about fish. He would speak about cedars, creeping things, stuff like that, and just talk to people about it. And they would just sit there in awe and, and, and hear all these things. Now, he probably didn't talk about the same thing each day. So each day he'd say, what's the topic going to be for today? Oh, no, well, we haven't talked about, talk about clouds in a while. Let me talk about clouds. <laughs> and there's a whole lot to learn about clouds. I don't know if that was one of his expertise, but they list a, a bunch of them here. Imagine that coming on in. I wonder what he's going to talk. Last time I was here, he was talking about fish. I wonder what I'll talk about today. And he comes on out and he talks about something and gives, gives wisdom about those things. And people would come from all over. And no, no planes. No planes, trains, or automobiles. You have to walk, ride, something to get on over there just to hear what he had to say. This is the picture that we have of Solomon's kingdom. If people would travel from far and wide to hear what Solomon in the kingdom that is to come, you imagine listening to the wisdom of Jesus? Imagine the things that he would do to, to address it. Imagine the extravagance that would go on with, with him. And he is extravagant. We already know he paves with gold. That's, uh, that's pretty extravagant. He builds things out of gemstones, gates out of pearls. That's extravagant. You imagine making a gate out of a pearl. How much are you throwing away? <laughs> if you make a gate out of a pearl, how much of the pearl goes in the trash? I mean, if, you, if you're going to walk through it, you've got to be chucking away a whole mess of stuff. That is a big... Imagine the oyster that grew that sucker. That would be something else. Yeah, it's going to be one, one big oyster, surely. 
Well, I put in your outline this. Are we ready for growth? Not just growth as a church. Are you ready for growth for yourself? Are you ready for growth on your job? If you're going to have growth, you're going to have to sustain it. I think I told you the story before when we were down at Raymond. I was first getting this, the uh, education about believing God for a blessing, even on your work. And so I've started believing God for a blessing at work. I worked at Ken's Pizza. We were making pizzas. And so I was believing, Father God, I thank you for customers coming in. I thank you that we have all the customers we need. I thank you that abundance comes to our, our restaurant. Other restaurants may struggle, but our, our restaurant is going to flourish. And um, I remember the, the day, boy, it hit me hard that we, oh, wow, this is, this is working. It was a Thursday night. I remember it because we were hit like it was a Friday, and we had a Thursday staff. Now, in the pizza business, Friday is your busiest night. Saturday is your second busiest night. Thursday and Sunday are on about the same par. And then the rest of the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is, is, is making up the rest of it. But Thursday is below Saturday. Is below fr- Friday is by far the busiest. And so everybody works Friday night. If you have a job in the restaurant, you do not usually get off on Friday night. You're at least coming in for three or four hours during the, the peak time. Maybe you don't have to close, but you're at least coming in for that. But Thursday, it scaled down quite a bit. Of course, of course you've got to save the people for the other one. Oh, we were hit hard. We were really hit hard. And so all you try and do is keep up with the orders. We're not keeping up with the dishes. We're not keeping up with the other stuff that has to go on. And so when we finally closed those doors, <laughs> man, we had some work to do. And usually on a Thursday night, you, get out, you, cl- you don't stay open as late. Fridays, I think we stayed open until midnight. We probably closed around 10 on a Thursday. And so it takes you, you know, you start closing up around 9, 9.30. You start doing things to close because things are slowing down a little bit. And 10 o'clock, you clock the doors. You finish off the rest of it. You're usually out of there by 11.30. You're usually on your way home. 3 a.m. We didn't leave until 3 a.m. on that particular day. And I remember that because I had to be up at 6 a.m. to get to school. I, I talked to God. I said, God, we're going to have to talk about this, <laughs> this prosperity stuff here. Um, we'll have to, have to be careful in some of these days because I do have to get up and go to school <laughs> and do, do the things we're going on. We need to prosper in that area too. But, um, you know, if, you, if you're going to believe God for growth, you've got to be ready for it. So are, are we really ready for growth? Because along with growth comes sacrifice, there's some things you might have to give up. There's some things that you might have to let somebody else take over so that you can focus more thoroughly on the areas that you are called into, the areas that you specialize in. And that's not something everybody's willing to sacrifice. Change. When you have growth, there will be change. Are you ready for the change? They're going to be in Solomon's kingdom. Some new people took over. He got rid of some, a few old regime. Remember the, the priest? He was siding with the, his brother. You're out of here. We're going to get a new guy. And he got a new guy. Changed the priest line. Fulfilled the prophecy that Eli's house would be done away with from the priesthood. And it was. It was removed after, after that one. That was the last one. So there's sacrifice. There's change. If you believe God for growth in your business... If you believe God for promotion, promotion means what? Change. That means you're going to have to not work with some of the same people, work with some different people. Might be good, might not be good. You're used to the strange things that some of the people are doing that you are working with, but what about some of these other ones? Are you ready for that too? Can you believe God that change will be beneficial? I keep going back to remember... uh, Jeff and Chris, they always used to say any change that would happen at their job would benefit the Hicksons. I love that confession they had. And some of them, when the change came in, it didn't look like it was going to benefit the Hicksons. They would give us a testimony. Remember some of those testimonies? They were great testimonies. I love some of those testimonies. They didn't necessarily think that this is going to benefit. I don't see how this is going to benefit the Hicksons. But that's our confession. We believe that it's going to. And it did. It would come around after a little while. And they would see how it would benefit them. Are you ready for that? Division. There's going to be some division of responsibilities. Some things that you have been used to doing, you are going to have to let someone else do. Hmm. You've been on the job, you've been doing this, 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 and this, and the job is growing and growing and growing, and you're holding things up because you won't let some of these things go. You need to be willing to divide 
some of that and put it into the hands of other people. So along comes sacrifice, change, division of responsibilities. I put in the little parentheses for, for me. Division of responsibilities and addition of others to help. What happens with some people when other people come along to help? Well, what are you doing here? Why are you coming along? Who said we needed you? And we begin to become protective of what is ours. It just shows you, are you in it for the kingdom? Are you in it for you? Solomon, when he grew it from David's space where he was at to where he was going to take it, some people had to be ready for some change and ready for some growth. So the thing we can take out of this chapter is, are you ready to grow? Are you ready to grow? Whatever it is that you, you do, if God gives you a bigger car, <laughs> might be a bigger payment, might be a, a bigger repair bill every once in a while, might be more on gas, but is it a blessing? I look at some of these guys who have uh, uh, mega churches or multi-church ministries or uh, things that are, are going on. I mean, Rick Renner, when he went over to the Soviet Union 25 years ago, his expenses were a lot different than they are now. And that's, that's something he has to believe God for all the time on a regular basis. Every month we need so much just to keep all this stuff going. Because he got multiple churches and schools and TV shows and radio programs and traveling and all this sort of stuff. Uh, are you ready for that? We all like the idea of growth and doing big things. But big things come with a price tag. Is your faith to the place where you can do that? Israel loved the idea of growth. We are going to come into a big land. Cities we didn't build. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. Milk and honey it flows with. They were all excited. And when they got there, they saw, hmm, we got to fight some people. <laughs> we got to take some people out. And God was trying to grow them up the whole way to get there. And each time they failed in the growth process. Each time they, they didn't succeed. And when they got to the place, they weren't ready. God is getting us ready for growth. Growth on our job. Growth in our own personal lives. Growth in our church. Growth in our spiritual walk. Growth in the people that we minister to. God wants to grow all these kind of things. Are you being made ready? Are you going to hang on to what was there before? Are you going to release it and let it go? And say, God, what is it that you're taking me to? But I've always done this, 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 and this. You mean I have to let somebody else do this and just do this, this, this? can be. It can be. It's a, it's a thing that, that we have to look at. We, um, well, there's, there's much to, to get ready, much to do for the kingdom. You know, I don't help anybody to grow if I keep going in the back and being a head usher. <laughs> we have other people that have to be grown up for that. They have to, to learn how to, to, to be the head usher. They have to, to learn how to do that. I don't help anybody grow if I don't let anybody else teach. Right? I asked Ethel and Keith have been jumping in there and getting some things going. They're learning how to teach. Each time they get up there, they're, God's teaching them how to teach. Just like He teaches me how to teach. That's how we, we do it. Each time, there's more things we need to learn. We need to let other people begin to go. Well, they didn't do it as well. Well, they don't... Uh, greet people quite the way that I, I would do it a little bit differently. Well, are they growing? We need to let them grow. We need to let them develop because we may get to a day where we need more than three greeters. We need six greeters. We need 10 greeters. We need 20 greeters. What if no one else got ready but you? What if we need more than two or three ushers? What if we need six ushers? What if we need 100 ushers? What if we need 500 ushers per service? What if we need that? Are we ready for it? Are we ready to grow other people up? Are we always looking for an opportunity to do that? We have to always be looking for an opportunity to grow someone else up and to get them ready. Because expansion, whatever God wants us to do in growth, 
It takes people. It takes getting people ready. Are you making people ready? Are you getting ready? Do you get excited when you see somebody doing something new in ministry? Or do you... I'm, nobody here would do this, but other people might sometimes feel jealous. Wait a minute. I want to do that. I want to be the one who does. We've got to be careful. Because God wants to expand. He wants to grow. He wants more people coming into the kingdom. We want to have more people who can pray over. Feel comfortable praying over folks. Down at Rainbow, if you want to be an usher, you've got to know how to cast out the devil. I teach you. That's how you cast out the devil. That's how you pray for the sick. Because you may have to deal with it. You know, it's how you kick people out of the church. There they, they deal with all. They even teach them. This is how you deal with people with a gun. Never seen anybody who would come in with a gun. <laughs> but it's a whole lot better to be ready for it than to uh, than not to be. Those kind of things can happen. Wasn't there one a, a church somewhere where the pastor got shot? Where was that? Out in Colorado. But yeah, they came after Brother Creflo, didn't they? And uh, they got somebody else instead. Yeah. I think it was Colorado, wasn't it? I think it was somewhere out there. Yeah, he didn't like some counsel that he did with his... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way that you get us ready, that you want to grow us up. You grow us up on our business. You grow us up on our job. Grow us up in the roles that we play. Father, mother, whatever it might be, you grow us up in those roles. Grow us up in what we do for you in the kingdom. You help us, Father, to see down the road more than just what we're into now. Help us to see what you're getting us ready for and not just to hang on to, well, we don't want things to change. Thank you, Father, for the help that you give us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.